This Taking Back Trump's America podcast is brought to you by Steve Bannon's War Room. Listen to Bannon's War Room live daily from 10 a.m. to noon and 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Rumble. Or subscribe to Bannon's War Room on Apple Podcasts. Bannon's War Room. All signal, no noise. Hi, I'm Peter Navarro, and welcome back to the Taking Back Trump's America podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be playing the tapes from my guest hosting of Steve Bannon's War Room for the first hour, or the 10 a.m. hour. Let me uh, express my outrage right here for why I had to guest host that show. What they're doing to Steve is unconscionable. At any rate, this is a heck of an episode, so give it a listen arrive at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office to surrender himself just a little after 9 a.m. this morning. As he was leaving his SUV, he shook his lawyer's hands, and then he turned to the crowd of cameras there, saying, um, among other things, this is all about 60 days to the day, referencing the midterm election, suggesting that this prosecution is politically motivated. So now that Bannon is in custody, he will be arrested and go through the motions. He will then appear in court this afternoon around 2.15 to be arraigned on these state charges. Uh, we're expecting the Manhattan District Attorney and the New York Attorney General to hold a joint press conference around 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Likely then we will see what these actual charges are. The indictment will be on. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us. Peter K. Navarro in for Stephen K. Bannon today. Uh, not happy about it. Um, look, it's, it's always a pleasure to be on the war room, be with the posse, but these kind of circumstances, um, to me, are getting to the point now of being untenable in this country. If you think about the trajectory going back to the first day I met Steve Bannon back in 2016 in Trump Tower and when he assumed the reins for the Trump campaign, we have seen a jihad by the Democrats and also a portion of the Republican Party, otherwise known as rhinos, wage war, wage lawfare, wage everything in between on Donald John Trump and those closest to him, such as yours truly, such as more importantly, Stephen K. Bannon. And if you look at the arc of these attacks, you begin in 2016 with a Russia hoax that took down a good man in Michael Flynn, removed him from government, cost him $7 million in legal fees, raids on Roger Stone, Manafort, in prison, Manhattan lawyers unrelentingly trying to get 
tax records, this, that, and the other thing uh, from Donald Trump, impeachments. Fast forward to my situation, Steve's situations with contempt of Congress. And now, today, yet another indictment by Democrats in a blue stronghold using lawfare to try to silence the man, Stephen K. Bannon, who has, through the force of his intellect, taken this show to the number one podcast and show in politics in the world. And the Democrats fear him, and rightly so. We do have, as Steve said this morning, 60 days out to the November elections. That signal, Steve will not lose sight of the fact that that signal, that's what we're focusing on, taking back Trump's America. We must do that. We must take the investigatory powers away from Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats on Capitol Hill. Everything we as a posse must do between now and the next 60 days must focus on taking back the House, taking back governor's offices, Carrie Lake in Arizona, Tudor Dixon in Michigan, Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, Senate seats, J.D. Vance uh, in Ohio. We'll talk more about that in the 5 o'clock show today. Blake Masters out in Arizona, folks like Joe Kent, all the school board folks that we need to take back the schools for parents rather than authoritarian bureaucrats. But how much, how much is America going to stand from these Democrats who want to use these indictments to take out Trump and his closest advisors. I mean, a panty raid by the FBI taking clothing and passports from Mar-a-Lago. And what is this? What is this about leaking documents by the FBI and the Justice Department to the Washington Post? How do you even do that? How do you even do that if you're a Justice Department? I mean, that, that, is like, that is like absurd, that is obscene for them to leak documents to the Washington Post. That's illegal. Ellsberg got charged back with the Pentagon Papers for doing stuff like that. So make no mistake about it. I'm here today talking with you. Because Stephen K. Bannon is the most powerful political voice right now in America. And they want to shut him up. That's what this is all about. We are going to have a great show today. We've got a lot of people coming on. We're going to talk energy. We're going to talk polls. We're going to talk the economy with Cortez. Richard Barris is coming on at the top of this hour. But right now, Denver, if you would, um, I want to 
talk a little bit about the uh, the vaccine and hydroxychloroquine, which came up in the news recently uh, again from another witch hunt on Capitol Hill going after yours truly. So, Denver, if you can play that clip, I'd appreciate it. And why um, it can be freeing to not wear a mask on a plane or a, a, a train um, on the subway, that's fine. But I think we just need to acknowledge that uh, there are still people in communities for whom this is a everyday fact of life that they right. have to think about. And masking remains an act of solidarity and respect for vulnerable people, that includes people with disabilities, with chronic conditions like asthma, as well as for hard hit communities like native and black communities, especially Hispanic communities that have been hit especially hard by this virus. So we need more urgency around treatment for long COVID. We need more urgency around respect for vulnerable communities. And it just doesn't cost me that much to put on a mask for someone else. Absolutely. Oh, how long can this keep going on here? Masks, vaccines, neither which work in the sense that we wanted them to. This uh, this whole COVID policy, which the woke left has adopted, is killing people, has killed people. And... We've talked a lot on this show about how the vaccine is leaky, non-durable, creating vaccine-resistant mutations. We've showed you data now how people who take the vaccine are more likely to die, according to some studies. We've shown you how young boys and men are highly subject to myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. We've talked about women and how the vaccines, and I, 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 they're not vaccines. They're quasi-vaccines. They're, they're something else other than vaccines, right? How women and their menstrual cycles get disrupted. This vaccine policy is totally bankrupt. And Malone and I talked about this on the air. We should just stop the vaccine moratorium right now, but they keep doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on this thing for the benefit of the profits of Moderna and Pfizer. And it's a joke. It's like, oh, well, this new booster has been adapted for, for the next strain. And it's this time it's going to work. And as far as masks are concerned, I think one of the worst child abuses we have done in this country, besides forcing kids to have a vaccine they don't need that's going to screw with their antibody system and may give them myocarditis, besides that, is making kids wear masks when there was like virtually no risk among children, except those few with comorbidities, of anything at all. Which leads me now to the latest assault on yours truly from Capitol Hill. Um, There's this subcommittee on the coronavirus response headed by James Clyburn, a Democrat, of course. This was set up well over a year ago, maybe even longer, two years, 
And its sole purpose, in my judgment, and I said this repeatedly, was to simply be used as a political weapon to bludgeon Trump politically to, to build a case that somehow he screwed up handling the pandemic. And one of the reports they just issued a week ago went right at me, right at me, and Doc Hatfield for pressuring the FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn and the FDA to allow the therapeutic drug known as hydroxychloroquine for early treatment outpatient use in this country. Now let's let's break that down a little bit. First of all, when I say the word hydroxychloroquine, that provokes hydroxy hysteria and a lot of people who have been indoctrinated by CNN, the New York Times, mainstream press. You might think that that's a dangerous drug. In fact, it's been used for malaria for over 50 years. It's used for lupus, rheumatoid arthritis. The CDC says it's okay for pregnant women. And it works. How do I know that? The latest study, August, over half a million people analyzed in 51 countries says that hydroxychloroquine reduces mortality rates 57% to 81%. Okay? A little over a million Americans have died in this country. If that data is true, and we had, as I had wanted to do, and urged the FDA to do, uh, on behalf of President Trump, if we had made hydroxychloroquine available in early treatment to every American who needed it, every one of those who died, anywhere from 570,000 to 810,000 of those Americans would be alive today. Our parents, our grandparents, our sons, our daughters, our lovers, our friends, dead, dead because of CNN, New York Times, and the Democrat Party and twits like we saw in that clip. Disgusting. Disgusting. We need a new policy towards COVID on the vaccine on masks, on therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine. Hey, they backed off finally on ivermectin. Now the FDA says, oh, that thing that just that they made fun of, Morning Joe, it's like, oh, it's like a, a horse pest kind of thing you do. No, 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 who would take that? Well, it actually works, okay? All right, enough of that. Peter K. Navarro in for Stephen K. Bannon. Um, we'll be right back. We're going to shift gears abruptly. And we're going to go to uh, the energy crisis. And um, I'll have a good laugh line on Gavin Newsom for you as we lead that one off. We'll be right back. You're here in Stephen K. Bannon's War Room. We will fight till they're all gone. We rejoice when there's no more. Let's take down the CCP. Trump's America.
That's the incendiary new book from former Trump trade czar Peter Navarro, available on Amazon today. Stephen K. Bannon calls Taking Back Trump's America a brass-knuckled insider's account of the merciless 2020 fall and miraculous 2024 rise of the White House of Trump. Taking Back Trump's America is the blueprint for a new Trump White House that will truly make America great once again. Order Taking Back Trump's America today on Amazon. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. It has been the formal policy of our country since President Monroe that we reject the interference of foreign nations in this hemisphere and in our own affairs. <laughs> that, look, if, you, if you're listening to this on the podcast and you didn't see the video, the cutaway shot as Trump is talking about Germany being dependent on Russian gas is priceless because those arrogant, friggin' Germans we're sitting there laughing at them, okay? And I hope those same arrogant friggin' Germans who were laughing at them are the same ones that are freezing in Germany in January and February this year because they didn't listen to Trump. But no, 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 no. Those friggin' Germans will probably be down on the south coast of Spain and who will be freezing? It'll be the deplorables in Germany because these people are so friggin' arrogant and stupid. And I remember when I was in the White House, I'd have to deal with the Germans on occasion on different things. I did did them had to negotiate, for example, on this postal treaty. We were able to to get some improvement on, and <laughs> just like those guys, they just 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 wrong. They're just so friggin' arrogant. And, and that captures the attitude in Europe. And I have, I've always feared, I've always feared this, like down the line, a German-Russian alliance. And I do not rule that out in, in three or five or ten years where they align against the rest of Europe back like in the old days in, in, in World War II when Stalin and Hitler got their thing going until... Hitler decided to go turn on Stalin. You know, this, this is the politics of this all, okay? So we've got that going on. And at the same time, here's your laugh line of the day. You, you, can't, <laughs> you can't make this up, okay? It's like I'm, a, I'm an ex-Californian, um, and that state is like the most woke state, I think, in the union, this side of... Hawaii, probably. And so they're, they're like full bore on renewables. And this is nothing new. I, back, they've been going renewables since the 90s. And how's that working? Okay. It's like right now they're in the middle of this heat wave, which is threatening to bring down their grid. Right. And so one of the things Gavin Newsom does is he asks, all the electric vehicle drivers 
like in the middle of peak Labor Day driving to not charge their cars, okay? What percentage of the grid do you think they depend on, okay? It's like 3%. It's like nothing. It's a nothing burger. Yet those people in electric cars, I have said all along, it's like, hey, that electricity's got to come from somewhere, okay? So when funny stuff, weird stuff like this happens over in Europe and in California, who do we bring in? Dave Walsh. Dave, always good to have you in the war room, sir. Um, pontificate just a little bit about the chessboard you're seeing uh, both in Europe uh, and California, sir. Well, in Europe, Nord Stream shut down again indefinitely. Certainly, yeah, it's it's about it's about pressure on Western Europe. The EEU. That's had, the pipeline uh, that runs from yeah. Russia to yes. Germany or through Germany yes. to the rest of Europe. Through Germany feeds Germany, Austria, Hungary feeds Western Europe. So they're okay, claiming so that oil leaks in the pipeline that. And they always have their picture of Siemens technicians out there beside an RB211 compressor fixing it. It's nothing to do with these compressors or rotable spares. They don't need to be fixed on the fly. <laughs> um, no, Putin's doing his thing, and predictably. And but but the fact of now, the uh, head of the EU, um, Ursula von von der Leyen, doubling down on wind. We will use the power of the wind to free ourselves from Russian fossil fuels and become climate neutral. She, so she's doubling down on what hasn't worked. But what in reality, who's now amping up oil production and gas production mightily to step in? Norway. Norway has uh, got the uh, Johan Sverda field opened up by this two months, another 400,000 barrels per day production out of the North Sea. This is planned some time ago before this crisis. Yeah. But Norway, the point is, has not stopped. It's aggressive, proper, and good for its country, exploitation of North Sea oil and gas. England has stepped out. They stepped out of that uh, notably about 10 years ago when North Sea production yeah. plummeted by 65%, was mainly the UK. Norway has continued, so they're happily selling their oil and gas to neighboring states at prevailing market prices. So Nor yes. Norway has not given up on this. Uh, it's not the conflation in the media of Russian gas. It's the, the, the countries in the, in the EU need gas. We've got stainless steel plants being closed. We've now got all the aluminum smelters in Western Europe being closed. Those are industries almost totally dependent on a continuous base load electricity, not intermittent jagged electricity, to run smelting pots for it, aluminum. Dave, it's only September. Stuff. It's only September, and the weather is mild at this point. How bad does this get in January if the Russian pipeline stays closed? Well, the truth, the storage that they're filling up, uh, Germany has in Austria about 85% uh, complete their storage of natural gas for the fall. That takes about three months pressure out of the system, but the winter goes beyond January, goes into February, March, and April. Yeah. So the storage yeah. they've got is good news, and it's growing, but the max capacity is about three months. Winter is about six months, most of the period between November 1 to April 1, five whole months, it's still a huge problem because Germany and Austria are, along with England, by the way, 95% dependent on fossil fuels, natural gas, and oil for home and building heating. That's always left out of their electricity metrics that they broadcast on renewables. They leave out home and building heating. It's entirely gas and oil. This is a huge problem. 
because you know how cold it gets over. And to be clear, uh, politically, they'll, of course, shut down industry before they'll let people freeze in their homes. Has there been any estimates of the impact on European GDP of this crisis? Yeah, there's one estimate of about a 3% slip in the next nine months. Peter, I I would suggest it's going to be way past that. I, I, I mean, yeah. you're, 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 I'd pause it. I'd pause it double digit. I mean, when we're no looking question at a, that no question Europe's in a recession because of this horrendous for a long horrendous. time. Aluminum plants yeah. being shuttered, stainless steel plants being shuttered in Germany. The chemical plants, which is a big industry there, BASF, they brought here to South yeah. Carolina as well. Yeah, uh, totally dependent on on feedstocks of gas to run those plants. You're yeah. talking 20 percent production reductions being announced already. No, yeah. the the flow-through impact on the European economy across the board, if it's not 10%, yeah. I will be shocked. This is this shocked. is massive and, significant. And the euro um, is, is plummeting as well because there's no way that, that they That's can why. be raising um, interest rates at the same rate as everybody yeah. else, right? And I think to your prior point, you look at the signals being given by the way the euro is collapsing is giving a signal that this 2.2% GDP decline forecast is way low. It's going to be way beyond that because of the so destruction it, it, of the industry by lucky gas. This might be past your expertise, but Dave, a 10% reduction in European GDP, you know what impact that has on the U.S. GDP? Well, it's going to flow here. That's the, you know, this, the third largest economy in the world collectively is the, yeah. the EU. I uh, would suggest yeah. it's going to be a, a, some 30% of that flow on to, to the U.S. Euros. And yeah, we're, we're they'll export, they'll export their uh, energy crisis and recession um, to yeah. us. There's no question we'll wind oh. up buying more of their stuff at, at higher prices because of the lower euro, right? Right. Our, our, our cross-linkage commercially and trade-wise with the UK and especially gigantic German economy is far larger than our dependence on yeah. the Taiwan economy. Just saying. It's very yeah. significant. Yeah. Uh, you know, cars. And by the way, the, the, the higher price part of that equation comes in because of this disrupted supply chains in production there. Um, yeah. It'll be... You know, the, the the cheap euro will give us cheap goods, everything else being equal, but everything isn't equal. It's like, yeah, you also got uh, production costs going up. Hey, quick, we only got a minute left, uh, Dave. Uh, quick quick hit on California and Gavin Newsom. Well, the, the issues are identical. The, the, ending with Europe, the in, in the UK, the concurrent destruction of their baseload energy sources, nuclear and coal, by 46%, and Germany by about 44%. Reducing, yeah. shutting down coal plants, shutting down nuclear, most yeah. all of them, except for the last 20 percent. That's the driver. California is the same issue. It's the same issue. California imports about 35 uh, percent of its electricity because of continuous decisions in the first in the 80s on nuclear. No more of that. By the 90s, no more coal here. Began to shut down coal plants. And even by the early 2000s, they didn't want large combined cycles because they burned something, natural gas. Same stuff. So you've got a state that imports Dave, that's, uh, that massive you, uh, solar resources very intermittent. And that's the right, problem. Quick, with, uh, quick, what's your social media? You got 10 seconds for that. That Dave Walsh Energy on Getter. Thank you, Peter. All right, you're my brother. Uh, appreciate you coming in with that great insight. Um, keep, we'll keep see you soon. Going, Peter. God bless you. All right, my brother. Peter K. Navarre in for Stephen K. Bannon. We'll be right back. In the war room, we're going to have uh, Richard Barris up next. 
with a look at the political chessboard. The darkness of Charlottesville, of COVID, of gun violence, of insurrection. We can see the light. That was President Biden one week ago in Philadelphia. And joining us now, senior writer for The New York Times, David Leonhardt, who says the handling of the pandemic can be a good issue for Democrats. And Joe, it's interesting because I think it's fair to say that Democrats have a lot to work with in the run up to the midterms. They have a lot of wins on the table that they could talk about. They have the obvious uh, looming criminal investigation over former President Trump. They have January 6th. They have lots of different options. The question is how to synthesize it all into a coherent and powerful message. Hmm. Well, let's test that hypothesis. I'm going to bring in uh, one of my my big favorites on the war room, Richard Barris. Um, we break news here. He's out with uh, his latest national poll results. Um, Mika says the Democrats have a lot to work with. What say your polls, Mr. Barris? The problem with what Mika just said is that nobody cares about those issues. <laughs> It's really that simple. Yeah. COVID is now yeah. cited by 2% of uh, our sample as their number one voting issue. That's it. Out of the top three of four uh, most important issues, they, uh, voters prefer Republicans. That would be inflation is, and cost of living is still number one. Republicans are looking at a 20-point lead there. Jobs in the economy is number two. Republicans are looking at a 16-point lead there as far as if you cited these issues, who are you voting yeah. for? Um, and yeah. the, the, the thing is, abortion is now about tied with immigration is number three. They're both at 9%. And really, uh, you know, what I want to stress here, Peter, is what we're seeing. So is hang on the there. Voters- Just let me let me focus yeah, on a, uh, just so we get the numbers right uh let's let this breathe a little bit so the dems have a nine percent lead on the abortion issue the republicans have a nine percent lead on immigration no they have the nine nine percent cited that as their top oh issue, I, okay abortion. all yeah. right so and what's the, the uh, immigration what's the uh what's the spread on uh, abortion for those nine percent, uh, the spread on abortion is huge. It's almost, I mean, it's thirty-five points uh, in favor okay. of Democrats. If you chose abortion as your number one issue, uh, if you chose immigration as your, your number one issue, the spread is sixty-five points in favor of Republicans. Uh, so 65. you know, it really goes to sh- huge seventy-six to eleven. So if you yeah. chose immigration or border security as your number one voting issue, uh, then that's those voters break for Republicans seventy-six to eleven. So, you know, yeah, so let's go. Let's go back to the, the GOP. Yeah, let's go back Overall. to the top. So those two things you cited, number one and number two, those are the yeah. stagflation components. Right. So you got the inflation and then yes. the jobs, which is a proxy for recession. Republicans, what's the spread um, on inflation? On inflation, it's 20 points in favor of Republicans okay. and on uh, and, and, jobs in the economy, 16. Okay, so if we get down further, anything of note there? What the Jan Six stuff? Does that pop up? Um, the insurrection, no. the, the the how about any of the raid, the panty raids on Mar-a-Lago or any of that stuff? 
Well, you know, it's you know that we will group all of this stuff because it's so low, Peter. We'll group it all yeah, okay. into this other category. Okay. Give people a word cloud usually to try to give them an idea of how many people, yeah. uh, you know, actually brought this up. January sixth, uh, you know, some. It's funny because if they choose that or they choose the raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, then it really is. It's not one hundred percent, you know, in favor of Democrats. It's about fifty-fifty. I'm mad about the committee. I love the committee. We got to stop Trump. Uh, on the raid, uh, we got to lock up Trump, 50%. Uh, the raid was overreach, yeah. 50%. You know, well, generally the raid, uh, you know, has been, I think, it's been a net negative because if you look at primary turnout after the raid, uh, Republicans uh, were very juiced. Wisconsin, uh, in 2018, the turnout in the state of Wisconsin was 53% uh, Democrat as a, as a share of the two-party vote. This year, it was 53% Republican. Turnout uh, rose about 20% among Republicans. Wyoming, look at what happened. Uh, that was after um, the, the August 8th raid. And in Wyoming, there was 70,000 additional voters in a 100,000 okay. typical uh, electorate. So, you know, try to look at this in the totality. So, so if okay, this is the, the economy, if this is the economy, stupid election, right? The top two issues dominate. It's the stagflation scenario. What do we have for the generic House race at this point, and why is it as close as I think you're going to tell me it is? You know, <laughs> yeah, I am, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why though, which is a little, it's a little bit misleading. So overall, about almost fifty percent of the electorate cites an economic issue. One out of ten, less than one out of ten cited abortion. So put it in perspective, people. You know, right? So, yeah. but still, the uh, our generic ballot did tighten. Uh, for two reasons. One, some of the uh, working class that have been, you know, 100 percent behind the Republican generic candidate this uh, this cycle as we've been polling, they moved over to undecided. I don't know if I'm going to vote. So some of them were like loosely in the voter screen. Others were uh, just back to undecided, which is now almost 12 percent again. So that that will change uh, as pollsters do two things: tighten that voter screen, and they should anyway. I notice you have you Gov and the Economist and others out there putting out registered voter polls. You know what, guys? At this point, if a pollster's not willing to attempt to do the other part of their job, which is predict who's going to vote, not just how they're going to vote, yeah. you have to predict yep, yep, who yep. is going to vote. If they're not willing to do that in a likely voter model, then they're garbage. Don't even bother. I mean, that's really. Don't even bother uh, looking at them. And that goes for so, whether you want Republicans to win so, or Democrats to win. So because to Democrats that point, give Richard, themselves false hope. To that yeah, point, go ahead, Peter. are you projecting a higher than, than usual turnout election? And if so, is that going to be driven more by Republicans or Democrats? It looks to me right now a little bit like 2018, only the reverse. In 2018, there were younger voters who came out. There were more educated voters who came out. And a lot of the working class and even some of the 45 to 64 category uh, did not come out the way that we saw in 2014 and 2010. This time around, I, I'm looking at generally the same turnout in 2018. The difference is younger voters are not as enthusiastic about voting or certain to vote as we saw them in 18. Republicans still had a two-point lead on this latest generic ballot, and people should understand, you know, in 2020, 
uh, redistricting was more favorable, actually, to to uh, Democrats than it is now. And the generic yeah. ballot polling generally had uh, Democrats up by seven in the RCP average. They only won it by uh, about three points, and yet they still lost 15 seats net. So, okay. uh, you know, a, a two-point Republican lead in this environment with this map is still going to wash the House away from Democrats. That's simple. And it will put the Senate, absolutely, will put the Senate in play. So, so, so um, uh, what what's your projection at this point? I remember the last time you were concerned, we talked about how the McCarthy and et al. were shooting themselves in the foot constantly. Yes. Um, what do you see the swing in the, yes. uh, the House? Let's do that and then move to the Senate. What about the House? How many seats did pick up, you think? You know, right now I'm looking at 25 that I think uh, will go. And let me let me explain this. It should be a lot more than that. Republicans have a historic cap of 247 for a majority. Given yeah. redistricting, given this environment, given Biden's approval, given the right track, wrong track, given the record and the things people are telling us, they should blow past 247 and hit 250. They're not doing that because of what, you know, I've been trying to warn people, you know, both McConnell and McCarthy are counting votes. They're not counting seats and they're making what I think are intentional bad decisions uh, to try to limit gains because they do not want a MAGA Congress. But here's the thing that they don't (laughs) understand and Mika Brzezinski doesn't understand. That is disgusting, but yeah. Go ahead, it go is ahead. disgusting. Look at what they did yeah. to Eric Greitens. Did yeah. you see the filing yesterday? They yeah. are absolutely willing to smear MAGA to keep them out of Congress, and they will they yeah. will sabotage elections if it means yes. their own power. They will, folks. Yes. Do not forget it. Yes. But this is what they don't get, Peter. If it is a good Republican year, then nothing they do and nothing like Mika Brzezinski sounds like Republicans in 2018. Well, we got a lot to run on. We got the tax cuts. The economy's doing well. It's a first term incumbent midterm and the president is below 50 percent period thank you there has been one real modern cycle where that trend has been bucked and that was george w bush and republicans in 02 the country had just been attacked on 9 11 and the the country trusted republicans to keep them safe it was a matter of personal safety we were for those of us who lived during that time we were under threat are we really going to suggest that joe biden at 40% approval at best, is uh, is going to buck the trend like George Bush? Are we really? Well, yeah. no, so Meek is, is going to do that because that's what she gets paid to do. Uh, Senate, yes. uh, there's been much ado about Mitch McConnell screwing Blake Masters, screwing yeah. J.D. Vance, this, that, and the other thing. Um, tell us, you know, how's Herschel doing? Is he making a comeback? How's Blake Masters doing? How's J.D. Vance doing? How do you are we going to hang? Are we going to grab the Senate or not? And this is Herschel Walker is a perfect example. I've been critical of him. I, I don't like it when anybody doesn't debate, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, you owe yeah. it to the voters. But how many tens of millions of dollars thrown at Herschel? And he's back up again after being down for a little bit. So that's yeah. the, the environment. That and Herschel Walker is Herschel Walker. So Warnock should have put him away already. And the fact that he didn't means that he's probably yeah. going to lose. You know, 70 percent, 80 percent likely that Herschel Walker wins. Now, there are yeah. other states, too, that nobody is talking about. Mitch McConnell is spending money in Ohio, which J.D. Vance is going to win easily. He's spending money in Ohio when Oz is finally starting to cut down Fetterman and get, uh, you know, right up on his tail in the, within the sampling error, close, very close to it. 
they should be spending money there. But again, Mitch McConnell is, you know, he, he, I think personally he's doing this on purpose. I've seen him do it before, and I think he's doing it now. Uh, New Hampshire, I think you have Baldak who's going to win that primary. That's number one. And I think when you look at Maggie Hassan, she is not Jean Shaheen. She has never been popular. And right now, St. Ansem, University of New Hampshire, all of them find this uh, result. It's one question I ask all the time, which always gives me a little bit of a heads up. Does this person deserve re-election? A majority says that uh, Maggie Hassan does not deserve re-election. Interesting. So she is in trouble. New Hampshire is swingy and very unpredictive and very hard to pull. Ask, uh, you know, Kelly Ayotte how that worked out for her. So, uh, you know, we also have Laxalt in Nevada, who I think is uh, doing a tremendous job reaching out to Hispanics. And I think that uh, Robert uh, over at Trafalgar, I think he's right. I think Laxalt has a, uh, a tiny lead. I've seen how he's doing in Clark County. And I don't know how you beat him bad enough in Washoe to, um, to stop him and Lombardo from winning if they're doing that well in Clark. How about Blake Masters in Arizona? I'm worried that that Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, and Fincham could all go down based on the weird Republican rhinos there. Let me give uh, on on the governor's race. You know, it's uh, let me just say this flat out: Carrie Lake is going to win. The Democrats are in a full blown panic that Katie Hobbs is being outmaneuvered. Everybody knows it. You know, normally yeah. when this happens. A Republican leaks it to Politico. When it happens on the Democratic side, you never read about it. But believe me, <laughs> Democrats in Arizona, I have spoken with them, are pissed. They're mad. They think Hobbs is dry and that she, Carrie Lake is going to drum yeah. her, which is why she's hiding and won't debate. Uh, now that they finally agreed on a forum, she ran off the stage last night. It was pathetic. I don't. I mean, that's not going to win. But Blake Masters is being really outspent. He's got a lot of what you know is traitorism happening over there, and they expect to still to pay that bill. Just hang on for for a minute. Uh, we'll bring you back after the break and get get you right out after that. Um, <laughs> you're the best, Barris. Peter K. Navarro in for Stephen K. Bannon. Um, we'll be right back. We're going to uh, go back to Richard Barris and we're going to take a little trip to Sweden. Uh, back in the war room momentarily. Taking back Trump's America. That's the incendiary new book from former Trump trade czar Peter Navarro. Available on Amazon today. Stephen K. Bannon calls Taking Back Trump's America a brass-knuckled insider's account of the merciless 2020 fall and miraculous 2024 rise of the White House of Trump. Taking Back Trump's America is the blueprint for a new Trump White House that will truly make America great once again. Order Taking Back Trump's America today on Amazon.